Hey everybody. Welcome to the Machination Log for May 20th. I think I'm going to put this thing up tomorrow. So, it'll be a Friday cast. This is your host, David Paddock. I have the movie crew, prime movie crew in the house. Nicole. Movie crew in the house. Ryan. The crews of movies. We are here to discuss Jeff Nichols' own 2011 masterpiece, Take Shelter. Yes, we are. Ryan, take it away. So, this is a... I wanted to select this film uh, for several reasons. Uh, one, I think that we had kind of done a good idea of building on themes movie to movie. And this film, in building off of Inception, is both similar and not similar in very key ways that I think kind of moves the idea of this podcast along a little bit. Boy, is it. Okay, if I may. Um, (laughs) Well, one of the key things is that how this is opposite is that Inception was a very, was a big budget Hollywood film. $150 million budget. It's a lot of move. It's a lot of money. Yeah, a lot of money. Tech Shelter is not a Hollywood (laughs) feature and was made for less than $5 million. But in the themes, I think, of the movie that we get to, I wanted to kind of talk about the ideas of, you know, there is a kind of sense of, of, of re- reality, unreality. Uh, dreams play an important component in this film. Ambiguous ending. Yes. Which is, is ambiguity. Which is one of the key words no, if no, you no, look no, this no, film no, no, up. No. See, Ryan said this in the preamble. I guess we'll get to it. I'm calling, I'll call BS right up front on this being ambiguous. Okay, good. All right, but good. But we'll so, get into that. I'll get, yeah, I'll well, get into IMDb, that. IMDb, that was the second keyword for describing this film. The first one was schizophrenia, which is what I took from <laughs> like, the movie. Like okay. ambiguity in terms of quality? No, or? no, ambiguous <laughs> ending in terms of like things, keywords that you think about when you think okay, of so, this well, film. Let's, let's, this is move a little bit further. <laughs> no, so that, yeah, again, we'll yeah, get there. Yeah, where are we at in the ambiguous? So, um. But once again, I think that to kind of contrast the idea that these movies were made around the same period of time, you know, just after the 2010s-ish, I guess. Yeah, no, I guess that's two-year span. Yeah, exactly. And so we've got, I think, but also two different styles of filmmaking as well. But, you know, the constraints of of, of what it takes to actually make a movie is very daunting. I mean, if you, dear listener, were imagining making a movie off of a very simple device like your cell phone or something like that, you'd obviously recognize there were a lot of constraints on how you could tell a story and what and what sort of elements would be a part of your film? And you would almost certainly suck at it because oh, most absolutely. people do. Well, but also to the expectations of what your competition is, right? Like you take take shelter and put it up against Inception, and the two are not the two cannot tell a, the same the, the same story in similar ways. And the general idea of when we see these kinds of films that obviously you've probably never heard of Take Shelter. Uh, not only that, but it wasn't well funded, but maybe for a good reason. Uh, but we re- tend to refer to these as independent features. Now, independent cinema has kind of like a long tradition, uh, not only in America, but uh, but also in other countries as well. And I also wanted to choose it because so we could maybe get into this sense of what independent filmmaking is uh, in America, part of its half tradition. So do we maybe want to start with just what is an independent film and then kind of go from there? Well, maybe we should start with why don't we give because this this movie moves. It's a pretty, pretty simple like story that moves in a very linear pace. So why don't we just do a, and since nobody, including all of us movie casters who had never heard of this movie till Ryan suggested it, maybe we should just give like a brief, a brief synopsis of the movie. And then we can talk about, you know, why this is an independent film, just so, just so people have like a little uh, idea of what we're working with. I mean, for those of you out there who aren't familiar, at least with the definition of independent versus indie films. Um, 
I believe homestarrunner.com. I would have to put in which email it is, but uh, Strongbad does a very comprehensive job of yes. delineating between the Tarantino indie film and the Jeff Nichols independent, independent film. film. Yeah. Do not confuse the two. They Absolutely. do not cross. So this film is about a, uh, a, a, a father, a man named Curtis. Uh, he and his small family with his wife, Samantha. Yes. And their daughter, who is deaf. Uh, live in small rural town America, any town, but this is one is specifically located in Ohio. Uh, as our, uh, Curtis is, as we learn about him, we learn that he is a, you know, he's a, I think he's a, a sensitive father, um, a good provider. Uh, his he's best friend, real who blue collar guy, he's he a works, blue collar guy, he's like an oil driller, you know, uh, well driller, or well driller, yeah, yeah real he, blue collar, doesn't express himself real well. Well, and and we should also say that the I think part of the strengths is is that. Um, you know, independent films kind of rely on character and acting to a large degree. And the actor uh, Michael Shannon plays Curtis, and Jessica Chastain uh, plays his wife Samantha. And uh, both of those actors, if you've never heard of them before, um, you'll probably recognize or see them more often now that you have, are maybe aware of them. Uh, Michael Shannon, if you've ever heard of Boardwalk Empire, uh, he plays one of the secondary, one of the main secondary characters he on that show. He plays a detective. He's got—I forget exactly what he is. He's part of the—he's the main probie. The federal, yeah, yeah, he's the like probation the Fed. officer. Yeah. Um, he is exceptionally distinctive, both in face and speaking mannerisms. Yes, but is, you might also know him because I've been told I haven't seen the movie that he is General Zod on that um, on the first Cavill superhero Superman movie. He plays the main baddie who comes. Uh, am I saying this right? I don't know superhero on movies. On what movie? The su the Superman movie. Uh, he plays General Zod. You're on your own. Okay, yeah, me too. No, I I've, I've never seen about. it. But apparently, he plays <laughs> the main bad guy in the recent reboot bef uh, of He's the last Superman. He's been in a lot of films. Yeah, absolutely. He's just never normally the main character. No, and he is once again very distinctive. I mean, he's not. He's not okay. He's not attractive. No, no, he's but no he does pit. have a very distinctive yes, bone structure in his ugliness. Yeah. Absolutely. No, exactly. He ends up playing bit characters probably for that reason. Yes, and so you know he. Uh, as we kind of learn about him, and the story kind of picks us up quickly, and we realize that the main tension of the film uh, is that Curtis, the character, uh, is having very powerful dreams. And we are shown these dreams as we go through the film. They, uh, we're shown snippets or, or key sections of these dreams. And this begins to affect how Curtis is behaving uh, in really all facets of his life. Yeah. Um, and he begins to be filled with a sense of fear, a dread, uh, ever-present dread, that something is going to happen, and he needs to, in the words of the movie, take shelter. That something needs to be done in order to provide some sort of protection. And Curtis begins, through great personal, professional sacrifice, to begin to construct a very large uh, expansion uh, to his tornado shelter in the back of his well, house. And the, okay, so yeah, and just, so most of these, if these delusions, dreams, you know, visions, what have you, are in relation to a very large storm yes. that Curtis sees yeah. coming. Like it's an, the opening like a, of the movie. Yeah. Is he sees a storm he on the horizon like an, and there's oil on his hands yeah, to it indicate almost, it the seems like it's raining like oil. Yeah, yeah. to to indicate yeah, the surrealism so he of the dream. Basically, thinks that there is an apocalyptic storm coming and he needs to prepare for this. Yes, <laughs> and it and, and so that's basically the movie. That, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, that that is yeah. the plot in of the movie. In a nutshell. So yeah. uh, and it goes. It he starts off. With a very normal life. I mean, his child is deaf, but beyond that, absolutely uneccentric. He has a caring wife, mm -hmm. eats breakfast, goes to a construction site for work, 
meets or has a friend yeah, at the it, construction site. Friend Dewar, works with them. Yeah, yeah. The, he has a reserved style, probably a conservative, if I had to guess. Yeah. Um, you know, he exceptionally generic, and then every subsequent dream or hallucination removes part of his life as he knows it. Right. Uh, he can't trust his dog. He can't trust his friend. He can't trust his wife. It mm-hmm. goes and just escalates. Well, as each dream kind of, like you said, like they, the dreams seem to be, they, they, they have this effect on his, on his waking life, right? The dreams yeah. have a profound effect on how he moves through it. And really one of the first dreams he has is that uh, his dog, his lo- you know, his dog attacks Ram. him. Yeah, Ram attacks him <laughs> in a dream. And when, once again, I want to kind of emphasize here that why I think that this movie is, you know, we might argue it's a good movie, is the way in which we kind of are revealed or shown the effects of these dreams. So in the dream where uh, Curtis is attacked by his dog, we see it very viciously attacking him, biting his arm. And then for several scenes after that, it's not, I mean, it's overt, but it's not exactly like slapping you in the face that Curtis is, you know, he just like rubbing his arm arm and and it's, it's, it's bothering him. And we find out later that in fact it like he felt his arm aching. He says my arm hurt for several day or day or so or two or two afterwards. And it's once again th- And he immediately was afraid of the dog. Like after work, waking up like that, mm-hmm. like what was his dog before? It's you know, an inside he, dog. He now is afraid of this dog. Like he yeah. doesn't want him near him. So this is like And his family change. as well. Yeah. To such an extent that he gives the dog away. Mm-hmm. He can't even necessarily just put it slightly out of mind he has to eliminate it from his life yeah and he because i think what else also here is that curtis is is under a very sincere compulsion right that yeah, he, he feels know- these dreams are as as, are, or por- as a portent to something right yeah, he believes but that something he, he is going to happen he also is not an excellent communicator yes <laughs> so you know while he's trying to get rid of the dog the wife keeps asking oh you know what's the matter with red can he come inside he's just like no no, I can't. And can't I'm let not the dog in. I don't know if we were going to go through the plot or how we wanted to jump around this. I think that we've set up enough of the kind of core idea here. I think we can kind of yeah, jump I mean, into some specifics. Yeah, because the story's pretty like. simple. Because we can. Go, I mean, there's a lot of ways we can go, and I, it just depends on how long we're <clears> going to be here. I don't know where I want to. Okay, I, well, I don't know where I want to start pecking at it. Well, I think maybe the first question is: is that you know, Curtis obviously doesn't want to express this to someone, uh, to his family, right? He he feel. I mean, this this is a I got to say that the, the core thing is that Curtis is afraid. He is fearful of what he feels is going to happen. Uh, and this begins to motivate a lot of his actions. And it's a, once again, for someone who doesn't dream, we talked about this last time, right? I would really dislike the idea of like not of sleep, not being a comfort. Because to me, sleep is very comforting, right? right? I mean, I go in, I feel better when I wake up. I know I need it to. I know I need it to sleep. But for people that have experienced like trauma in their lives, for people who have very severe dreams, as Curtis is having, the idea that after you do everything, all the bullshit you got to do throughout your day, you know, you imagine if you worked a physical job, you'd be exhausted. I, I had an anxiety dream. I had to wake myself up yeah. this morning. I mean, so I'm in a really shitty mood. Yeah, actually. exactly. I mean, do we want to dovetail into it? It just feels like this would be an awkward time to bring the tempo up. This is story. I love the acting in this movie. It's mm-hmm. fantastic. The dialogue is pitch perfect for domestic dispute. Yep. Um, it's, it's very well it's shot. It's a very domestic movie. But the movie yeah. is absolutely infuriating to watch right. because it is normal people dealing with abnormalities. Yes. And they don't know how to do that. Yes. And basically, I was sitting there watching 
someone I was it was me having to watch an emotional coward deal with shit that I have to deal with all the time. Okay, did you see my post on the forums then, what I felt about this yes, movie? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, feel free to expound okay, if, on if it. If I could, okay. just set us up here. There, I think what we need to get into here is no, that... No, see, and that's the problem. It's, yeah. That can go on. I feel yeah. like that's going to be the theme so let's, thesis let's, let's, here. Let's do but. this, yeah. Like, all right, Curtis, yeah, these are super normal people. Yeah. Like, this is very... <laughs> the movie is very pedestrian in a Midwest sort of way. And well, they're perfectly not, executed yeah. to that end. Yeah. No, I, and I think that this is... Once again, the, the the question of why to make it so generic is that he wants this thing to be relatable. He talked about the idea of being conservative and in a political sense. And I do think that's the case because, I mean, maybe we, I mean, for one thing, I think it's a different question of whether or not we like Curtis. I mean, the idea that we want him to succeed in, in his quest one way or the other, or we want good things for him. But the other, th I think, thing about Curtis is, uh, and the main character is that I don't think he really wants anything more than this, you know, and that's kind of difficult for a lot of people to kind of had, right? You know, most, most characters are driven by something that they, that they want to achieve or they want to make themselves better. Or they want to grasp something, whether it's tragic or not to that they achieve it. Or but, at least the antagonism propels him forward. Yes. The antagonism literally just beats him down. The yes, whole exactly. Movie. And I think that's a cool inversion. I think this is a little <laughs> bit neat of an idea, just, just from the outside of the concept. Now, I mean, do you want to push back on this, or can I get to the question? It's of really... the source of all of my rage. For excellent, the film. excellent. So, so, I guess mission accomplished. Curtis, <laughs> Curtis, Curtis is. Are these dreams are affecting his behavior, and they're impeding on his day to day life? Well, and they they're start be becoming not just dreams; they start becoming like delusions he, while he's they at become work. real to him. Yeah, like he has he... daytime hallucinations. Yes. yes, and so now we have the question of: Is there something? wrong with Curtis. Now let's go ahead and unpack this because the movie, as, and once again, Curtis does not need to be told that there's something wrong with him, right? Within the first 20 minutes of him having these dreams of, and if you will, uh, dear listeners, when he goes to the doctor, he initially just wants something to help him sleep. Right. And he gets a pill, he helps him sleep. And then it's important that he, we kind of are shown that he has his, full, his first full night's rest without a dream. But when he's at work the next day, what happens is his first actual hallucination during the day. In a clear sky as he's working with his friend, we hear a powerful crash of thunder. And it is, he asks, he's like, did you hear that? Can you hear that? And he's like, dude, you know, everything's fine. There's not, you know, like what's going on? And Curtis, once again, this is when it begins to intrude on his waking life to a very powerful extent. And Curtis, to his credit, Goes, you know, he, I mean, hokey, but he goes to the library and he checks out books on mental illness, on other things. He does the and he face saving thing he can do. But he, but I don't know about but saving face to himself because he doesn't yeah. reveal this to his family. In fact, well, he's reading that's... the books outside the house at night. Yeah, but that's exactly how he keeps from doing that. He didn't even want to necessarily reveal it to his doctor the first couple of yeah. days. Uh, and then he reluctantly admits to it, goes to the library with his daughter who's not going to snitch on him. Um, no, it's absolutely <laughs> no. It's tell absolutely, us she wouldn't hear you. you know? No, it's the um. No, gotta the have the retard kid to you no. Know, the invisible, make the, whole the invisible hand, nuclear. Yeah, the the invisible hand, the spectator on your shoulder uh, mm -hmm. behind you is absolutely present in his life. I mean, that's that's the entire conservative ethic is that you have that you feel the presence of mm -hmm. family and friends and society at all times, whether they're there or not. Mm -hmm. It's just that by extension, he extra super duper does not want anybody else to know about this. Yes. And, and kind of the key feature is, is what we find is that there's, you know, there's, there is, I think the, the core question is, is, is Curtis mentally ill? And I've got some pretty 
stout opinions about that, as I'm sure you guys are as well. I, I do, too, because at, at its heart, I feel like this is yet again a poorly executed, I guess you refer to it as abnormality, but I'll I'll address it just as dealing with mental illness. Like, you know, I know we're not we're not this isn't a Hollywood film, but films in general tend to depict like mental illness or mental abnormalities in a very like specific fluffy way that really never gets to the heart of 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 what they really are and i felt this movie did that through and through like you know we've got the stereotype of you know the guy who doesn't want to admit he has any kind of mental problems you know who's who's working through it we have the you know like i don't know if we want to jump to the end yet but we have what we have what basically looks like a, you know, 30 something year old guy who has a family history yes, that's what with schizophrenia, who is basically now developing his own schizophrenic uh, delusions. Like basically like now he is going down this road of mental illness. Mm-hmm. And and like we'd already mentioned, this movie handles this in the most white picket fence yeah. goddamn way. Yeah, well, and normally, <laughs> and that's, Ryan, you'd mentioned the antagonism where normally the hero is forced to step up to the challenge because they can't step back. Mm-hmm. At some point, they hit the wall, and then they have to move forward. Right. Most people can relate to having an abnormality in their lives, backing away from it until it is out of sight, out of mind, or mm-hmm. deals with itself. Like, that's a very normal way to address problems. Right. It's just that in this movie, the plot permits Curtis to keep walking backwards. Yes. He doesn't ever hit a wall, so the second act of the movie never occurs. Um, I think that I, I, I will disagree in, in the large sense, which is that we might as well go ahead and... Uh, okay, I want to say something real quick here as okay, well before, we get, into your, before we get right. into the overall dramatic arc of the story, if you will. Okay? Sure. Um, First off, I think, first off, I want to argue that I think the film is, if you will, ambiguous <laughs> on the point of Curtis being actually mentally ill. I, that, think, I feel like it, it, there's, it, was too, it was too nice of a movie to actually do anything real on that level, which well, is why you have to wrap it up in ambiguity, ambiguity at the end, because you've got to make everyone feel okay about themselves. No, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like you're going to have an uphill battle, so you better start talking. Yeah, okay, no. All right, so I, I'm afraid of flying, like really powerfully afraid of flying. And uh, for dear, dear listener, if you, are, if you aren't aware of this, I fly very infrequently. In fact, um, I, I got to tell you, probably one of the worst periods of my life was when our family were, were going to go to Italy. And I will tell you this, that I've never not gotten on a plane. But in the, in the eight to six month lead up to knowing that I was going to fly to Italy <laughs> to spend nine hours on a flight. Flying a flying from Orlando death box. To, oh, yeah. A flying death box. Um, let me just say that it, it altered my day to day life. Now, I don't know if you know this, but living in Orlando, you cannot walk outside on a clear fucking day <laughs> without seeing an airplane. Like, you just can't do it. And, and on occasion, you uh, can be in your house and know there are yes, planes. Yes, we can hear them. And every time that happened, it was a reminder, right? It took me back to this place. And I was not capable of controlling the thoughts and fears of horribly descending at 2,000 feet per second and, like you said, in a flaming death box of noise approaching my own death. Like, this was something that was very present to me. 
and it affected me. And I, I want to tell you how, okay, just to show you how far this, this affected me. Um, now, dear listener, if you also don't know me, you know that I'm an atheist and I've been an atheist for a very, very long time. Um, but that did not stop me from adapting some sort of, you know, w behaviors in which to compensate. Now, I didn't pray. I'm not a religious person, but I did become superstitious. I did think that certain behaviors, or if I was like, you know, it's doing even my... worse than religion. No, I know. Superstitious. Absolutely. And this is the kind of key thing is, is that I, it was affecting my day-to-day -day life. There were little like rituals that I had invented. And for those of you who don't know me, whenever I fly now, I fly in a t-shirt uh, that I've had for almost 15 years I'm now. I'm surprised it's still holding up. That's the only reason for me to stay skinny is that I can still fit into this fucking thing if I ever have to fly again. <laughs> for some reason, that t-shirt is the only reason that I make it to my destination. And once again, it's something I recently flow, uh, fl have flown in, um, once again, for the first time in seven years, I flew this past October, and I wore that shirt when I was flying both to and back from D.C. So, but the thing is, is that I'm an intelligent, I'm, I'm a reasonably intelligent person. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 I'm aware, I know flying, I know how safe it is, I know all of the statistics, and yet... Um, you know all the statistics. As someone who was how... living with you during this during this warm-up period, I became aware of more of them than I certainly was. Yeah, I I I like to be to to know things and knowing how safe I would be, knowing that this is the most least likely thing of all the stupid risky shit I do every day. Like driving your car? Yes. Like this is, I mean, I should be more afraid of driving my car and the consequences of that than getting on any airplane at any random interval. And yet it was something that just was, like I said, all consuming. Now, am I fucking crazy? No, I mean, you have, you have like a pinpointed phobia. But God damn it, Nicole, like it was, that pinpoint, that small point, it for for several months it, obs it obsessed my life, and I don't. I mean, once again, I think that the depth. Perhaps I'm okay, not so conveying because you okay. know that I'm afraid. But the depths at which this would like, I mean, okay, it was so, on my yeah, mind so, all okay, the time. So imagine that that you're. See, so you have it in the form of a pinpointed phobia. So that's great. So if you're not flying, you, you're not affected by these things. No, no, no. That's the point. Was okay. that six months leading up to it? Like, Nicole, I'm not fucking with you. Like when I was pumping gas, it had to be more than $20.08 because that would mean I could live past that date okay. because I flew in 2007. So, so like imagine, so like in Curtis's case, like so imagine that like it's not, it's not like an upcoming date or, you know, anyone who actually has like a, like a chronic mental illness because yours is very acute it's like specific to a situation so Nicole, like imagine, would you like to share would you imagine like <laughs> just having that all the time like this is like it's imagine it's not even real so you think that something is following you all the time that's not even real but like imagine how fucking crazy you get if that's part of the everyday stress of your life well but the thing was and was, i feel like this movie is is it it tries to tackle that but it does it in such a tame way this is i i think i mean i i was sort of doing this in jest but i think everyone around the table has some version of this to share yeah, is I know there not a powerful I, fear I, you have in your lives because well, like well no i have a man oh the, man the version that i have of this is very it's parallel no it's not even parallel it is an orthogonal it's very orthogonal um so as i was saying that i consider Curtis to be an emotional coward because mm -hmm. everything that happens to him in this movie is something I have to deal with 
regularly. And the thing is, I understand that he's new to this. I understand that he has not had trouble between the sides of his skull the way that um, someone, for example, like I have. I've got practice. Because if anyone knows anything about schizophrenia, a lot of times the symptoms do not come on till like later in your 20s or early 30s. They're they're almost always stress-induced. Yes. They They don't appear at 10. Yeah. Most of the time. You know, so he is new to this abnormality mental illness situation. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I mean, I don't, (laughs) I've only had one daytime hallucination before, but I have had a lot of daytime delusions, and I constantly, if if I had to structure my life around dreams that I have had, like unpleasant experiences I had, I would not talk to anybody. Mm -hmm. I have been stabbed by and murdered almost everyone I know in dreams. Mm -hmm. That would not work. That's a thing that I have to overcome. And I recognize this, and uh, I, uh, for a long while, there were specific versions of this where it would actually cause me problems. Um, Bugs are one of them. I still have, I see way more bugs in dreams than in real life. I know you're terrified of bugs and you're way bigger no, than I'm they not are. No, I'm not. I'm not anymore. Okay. I'm not anymore. But it required defeat because I had to deal with that shit one way or the other. I either had to acclimate to it in dreams where they still annoy the shit out of me. <laughs> they just don't. They're, they're gross. They're not terrifying. Okay. No, but I just, oh, you say they annoy you. I just imagine like you have dreams where like like a giant cockroach like rings the doorbell and runs away or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like, not quite like Or they like deflate the air out of your tires, but they like, they're, they're like, they didn't pop them. They just moved you, all the time. You know, like wake up for it and you're like, Goddamn cockroaches! You know? And they, no, like, they scatter like, off like laughing yeah, at you. You can hear them like shuffling off. And... No, it'd be like I look in a corner and there's just a mass of centipede-style oh. creatures. Yes, disgusting. And, absolutely. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And it's just there's no like meaningful way for me to get away from this. And the problem is okay, yeah. that I needed to figure out how to deal with that. And I essentially had to re-engineer my thought process around it. And now when I see bugs, I get really mad at them. Right. Like I get pissed but, off at them, okay. which is an improvement. It's not zen. But 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 how did you? I mean, so let's compare ourselves to Curtis too, because like I oh I, mean, I am comparing myself to Curtis. Yeah, Curtis so, is still back at level one. But at the same time, yeah, Curtis you, just gives in, basically gives right into all of these delusions, so, but, hallucinations, okay. and dreams. But like anything his dreams are telling him, he just fucking goes yeah. for it, come hell or high water. Which is and, why I think. And he's again, I can understand if this is a Ill. novel thing. If your wife. Doesn't I mean in my dreams, everyone is armed. Mm-hmm. Everyone in my dreams. You have this a militarized is, no, 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 subconscious. No, this is this is a very. It's the other side of the lucid dream thing. I had mentioned that my brain builds defenses against me lucid dreaming. Um, the car thing is one where the brakes yep. in the car don't work, and that's a rational fear that I should deal mm-hmm. with. The other one is that if I think that I am dreaming, everyone suddenly has a knife on them. Right, like that just happens. Okay. Um, and that makes it very unpleasant to get to the end of the dream, regardless of how much control I have over it. But, but when you were trying to overcome this, were you like, were you, were you like communicating to people how you felt and what it and how these made you feel and the fact that you would wake up a? Fr- I mean, were you we like communicating these things to people in the, in a in an immediate, to, you know, day to day kind of sense? Um, only if you asked. Okay, but yeah, but you thing. weren't. No, but no. you weren't going and, and explaining to people like, look, I'm going through some hard times for these reasons. 
and it's because I dream that fresh motor oil is raining down on me and and my family is being taken away by faceless people that no, make no, that I, the water makes. You know, like, I don't want to discount the ace up my sleeve, which is that everyone thinks I'm weird already. <laughs> That but is a tremendously powerful cushion. It's the reason why I am still of the opinion that the fur community needs to drop most of its labels, the reason most of the transgender community needs to drop most of its labels. There's very little that is more freeing than just telling people that you're weird. And that's, But you understand why that's such a powerful... Because uh, once again, why Curtis can't do that? Because the problem is, is that, you know, Curtis has a life established for himself. I mean... One of the key scenes too is that that like when they're drinking in the truck, or how American can that be, right? When yeah. Curtis and his friend are it's drinking in the work. truck, you know, <laughs> he's like, he's like Curtis, you know, you've got. He's ta- he's talking about how he has problems in his marriage, and he says to his friend, you know, um, you've got a good life, and I don't yeah. think there's any more compliment than you could give a man than to say that you know, that's what you have is good, and the thing is is that Curtis, I think you're absolutely right. Curtis is coward, is fearful, and there isn't a certain amount of cowardice to that. But, you know, part of the thing, the, the question I asked Nicole in the forum was that, you know, why do we deny mental illness, right? Why do we, why, w- why would we consciously know that there's something going on here and attempt to, and seemingly want to deal with it without assistance, without knowing or letting people know that we needed help to do this? Because it was the same thing too. Like, I feel that my fear of flying is my fucking fear, right? As, I'm, as I experience it and it creeps back from time to time. You know, the terror that I feel, I mean, once again, you, you're aware of this. Yeah. It is physically fucking palpable. It is, it is not, me dying on a plane is not something that happens, like, on a movie to me. It is something that I imagine in great, great specific detail. Oh, yeah. And. So did you go to your doctor and get Xanax no, to fly? No, I did exactly what fucking Curtis did. And I'm not a fucking coward. I mean. But at the same time, I allowed it to take over and alter my actions. And this yeah, is you the became thing. superstitious. That's some fucking weird. I shit. have some. I <laughs> trust me. I <laughs> have you considered getting into baseball? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the thing is, is that look, I don't. Why don't people do this? Because for Curtis, this is a this is a general social stigma that's been going on for a long exactly. time. And I and, actually yeah. listened to a podcast where called the Cognitive Rampage from time to time, where his like whole message is. To men, more so because you guys tend to not seek help for things. But it's like, let's make mental health sexy. Like, basically, let's, like, get out there and get mentally healthy. So if you have issues, like, Mm -hmm. don't be afraid to reach out. But that's, like, this whole guy's message because there's still such... A social stigma, and I don't. I'm. I'm not sure yeah, what the social, cause of absolutely. it is, but there is, to a certain extent, a a social stigma about seeking help for your mental, uh, your your mental illnesses. And on top of that, the mental health system, as it were, is not very good at providing a whole lot of service for a lot of these things. Well, and and, and that's that... so. It's almost like a two two tong problem, like. One, you don't even want to talk about it. And two, they may not even have anything that's going to help you because there's still, like, a lot of gray area there. That that is precisely why I've never bothered with professional treatment for what I have because I got a psych degree. I know exactly how much they know about what's wrong with me. Yeah. and for But for someone like Curtis, too, like... I think the, it's important to kind of tell the list, you know, the, the listeners that the film takes us through these points. I mean, he, you know, money's tight. You don't, you know, you don't want to fuck up in this economy. 
Um, he goes. He goes to his. He goes he, to his. P, he goes to his. his G, he lives GA. in an area that does not even have good mental health yeah, services. Got a, he, his doctor tells him to go go to Cleveland, which Columbia, is yeah, what, or Columbia. 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 Far away. To Col- yeah, basically, treatment. go two hours away to go find a doctor that's worth seeing for mental health issues. Well, but also too that you got you know when he first goes to the counselor. Um, uh, uh, he settles for the free counselor that's available. And what does he, what does he bring with him? He's like, all right, well, I fucking took this test. And of the five indications for late onset uh, paranoid schizophrenia, mm. I'm having two of them. He fucking, I mean, he, yeah. he is aware of what's going on with himself. And I think where we're not maybe giving him, I, I think maybe why we are, are faulting him a little bit more is the fact that the, his reaction to the fear of the storm is the fact that he begins to construct this shelter. And this shelter, as, as, almost as he builds it piece by piece, begins to dismantle his life piece by piece. Well, because, like you said, with your phobia, even if he is aware that these delusions may not be real, they feel so real to him, he can't help but start becoming superstitious and building himself a fort. And, yes. you know, yeah. moving a, pla- a, a all place the- where he can be feel and be safe. Yeah, so, you know... I- <sighs> well, and, and it's... And so we could maybe just detail these kind of quick, kind of quickly to go through them. Uh... He, uh, one of his dreams early on in the film, he, he, uh, he, he urinates it while he sleeps. He wets the bed. He hides it from his wife and he does the laundry. Um, there's a couple of other sequences where, where finally the dreams are so powerful, um, that he, he cannot hide them. The fact that he's having them from his wife. And I think once again, the kind of sensitivity in the storytelling of this thing, I have to say that this is probably one of the best relationships I've ever seen depicted on film. I mean. The maturity and respect that his wife has for what he's going through, while, of course, obviously frustrated and upset with him, first off, for hiding it from her, the second part for not going 100% with the classical way to fix the problem, and then finally, of course, the fact that he's been lying to her and... Uh, essentially, he takes out a, 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 an equity loan or something. He yeah. takes out a second mortgage, if you will, to help finance his little project in the backyard of building the shelter. Even when she just, she's very, very frustrated with him. But in the end, when she, after he takes out the loan, after it costs him, you know, s- social stigma, after he, you know, b- betrays, he loses his job. Yeah, he borrows equipment. He's borrowing equipment off, yeah. from the job site, and he, and he, and he, he, he loses his best friend. He suffers a lot of disappointments and failures and you know in the end after all of that she comes back and she basically gives him terms right and she is insistent and yet caring about the terms of how she's what it's going to take to rejoin this relationship at the end of things i mean it's it's very very rare to see people treat each other. And like you said, talk about the dialogue and the simplicity of this thing. I was very, very pleased and shocked and filled with warm emotions. The fact that she was back, she thought about this, this is what I want, I need you to do this to help me together. And he, to his credit, objects, makes excuses, and yes, we'll we'll start taking this trip together. And this is where it kind of comes from this outward as well, which is that you know, you talked about the dramatic arc of the of the movie overall. The 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 setup of that scene that I just described, where the wife essentially comes back, she she leaves after she finds he's been hiding the fact that he borrowed money. She come he she comes back, sets these, and says, "Well, one of the things we want to do is we want to go to like, you know, like like the Kiwanis Club, some you know some of the local innocuous yeah. clubs that these little communities the have, Lions for the Club, yeah, yeah. The, the fried oyster festival or some shit, you know." Yeah. And so they come back, 
And this is he has a breakdown. His, he has a yeah. confrontation with his best friend who feels aggrieved that he got him into trouble at work. And they get into a fight, and he breaks down for the first time. But I also want to emphasize— In public. Yeah, that's in, the, in front of the whole town, yeah, in a sense. That's the big point. Like, this is, this is the point where now the whole town knows something's funny with Curtis. Yeah, yeah. something's up with Curtis, yeah. And he, you know, it's, I thought it—once again, I thought it, I was engaged emotionally. He says, there is a storm coming, and none of you are ready for it. Uh, you know, you know, you think I'm crazy? You th- and he's, he's, he's flailing out, but how does that scene end? With him seeing the effect that this behavior is having, not only on, on everyone, but he sees his wife, and he goes and just breaks down in her arms in front of everyone as well. And it is a very, very powerful scene, because I will mention this. Part of what is perhaps the most important point of Curtis as a character is that he never creates victims intentionally or directly from his family. He is neither abusive, nor vindictive, nor mean, nor spiteful. He, he is short, and he loses his temper, but never is it overtly abusive to his family. And finally, when he, when he reacts like this to the people around him, and he actually, I think, sees manifest the, the, the lingering fear that, that he put his family through in leading up to this, that is what ultimately causes his character to break. And I think that is, in part, the kind of first initial climax of this film. And that's why I want to, I'm I willing to give, I'm willing to give Curtis a little bit more rope than you guys are willing to give because of those reasons. I'm, I'm not about to suggest that he is ignoble. That's not, I, I wouldn't want to give that impression because he is, and society does generally impress upon people to behave the way that he does because in the event that this is just an episode, Curtis reveals to himself what the gremlin in the back of his head yes. would be like if he let it go. Yes. And is horribly sorry when it even does occur under massive duress. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's a good reason for him to try to keep this away from other people. It's just, again, it's infuriating to watch someone so ineptly tackle it. But 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 is that desire to not want to burden people with something so internalized as an unreasonable fear? Isn't that in and of itself a representation to a certain extent of courage? I mean, I mean, do I do a shit job of that no, myself? No, well, but I mean, I know, well, I know I'm trying to flip things well, around here I, because I, it's, well, I guess I guess I don't know which, which way you're tackling that. But I mean, conceptually, no, because if your internal fears are abil- are interfering with your ability to, you know, have interpersonal relationships, the way you change those habits is usually through, you know, group support and therapy and changing your cognitive behavioral habits. But then you, you um, run smack that, dab into the male conservative silence suffering cast. Exactly. But the thing is, like, like, like to, to, in order to change, you have to let somebody into that circle. I was actually just listening to a book about habits and, you know, the, the unfortunate thing about all of us, you know, myself included, who hate recruiting help for problems. Mm-hmm. The problem is the only way help usually helps is if you incorporate some sort of support group, i.e. Yeah. people, into the situation. You have to and ask I'm, the question the first time. And I'm guilty, too. Like, I hate involving other people in my, my, <laughs> my issues, you know? Well, and especially for Curtis, who I think, once again, if you, in, in the reveal about his, his childhood, right, he has a great scene um, well, with his brother, who, as he's lowering down and kind of building up the shelter, his brother comes... Um, and his brother is, by the way, played by an actor who was in the show Deadwood in the first season. He plays the Reverend in Deadwood. And 
I just a little aside, if you've never seen the show Deadwood, there's a brilliant that like, the character his brother plays in Deadwood is has its own wonderfully tragic arc. He plays a, a preacher that comes to this mining town who develops a brain tumor and basically epilepsies himself to death over the horse. But it is so tragically well done. Anyway, but his brother comes and and then he goes to visit his mother. And there's this, you see it in the trailer for the movie where you obviously realize that this something's happening to Curtis and they're sitting at the table and she's like, is everything, are, are you okay? You know, something wrong, Curtis? And he's like, no, I'm fine. You know, and it's <laughs> like, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you you laugh as a reaction to it because it is so ridiculous. But, you know, I think the thing for what the 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 real fear is not necessarily is is twofold, right? It's the impending fear that he feels. But it's also the recognition of two factors. One, he's losing everything that he has and wants to maintain. And the second thing is, is that in order to get treatment, right, if if it's true that he is mentally ill and he has what his mother has, the treatment for that is losing his family as well, right? Being taken away for serious treatment, as they say at the end, at the denouement of the film. And that as as well, you have to recognize, would be fucking terrifying, right? Wouldn't you at least want to try to solve it on your own if the very treatment was taking from you your ability to provide for, sustain the people who oh, depend okay, so and love you. Okay, so this is why I find this movie a bit disingenuous because let's let's take Curtis's outbreak and we'll pick it up here. It this is how this movie really goes down. Okay, so so <laughs> you know us. Curtis. Lay it on Curtis us. is seeing these visions. He sees the storm coming. He is building this shelter. He has lost his job because he took equipment from work to build this shelter, mm-hmm. and he also took out a loan he couldn't afford to afford to be able to do this. He has now had a public outburst. Everybody knows he is batshit crazy now. Okay, your next act is welcome to life on disability and a lot of medication that make you into a zombie and a miserable life for you and your family. <laughs> the American story has ended here. I mean, this is how this story ends up in real life, is... There's no, there's no longer a breadwinner. The wife's got to get some kind of bullshit job. He gets a disability check once a week, and he's on so many medications that the old Curtis is gone anyways. Like, that's, that's how this story ends in real life. Oh, but Nicole, <laughs> it's so much better here because... Yeah, let's do it. We feel so much better about ourselves. <sighs> because it turns out one. the storm was real all along, you guys. So... When he has the breakdown and the and the um, you know sharpshooters club wherever he's at, uh, they go home. He has another dream sequence, uh, but he is of course woken from this dream to the discovery that there is in fact a severe storm. Right, he has completed. Oh, the... I was going all oh, the yeah. way to the. Oh end. no, let's go but, ahead and do all that. Right, yeah, let's okay. do that because I think we're right to where you want. To, we were at yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. In, in terms of this idea, like of, I said, of... because that's how I see the rest of this movie playing out. Okay. Um. But still, okay, so. He goes home, they have the dream. Well, we get to have some magical realism hey, no, here to make no, us no, feel better. No, you Damn it. So the thing is, is that they go home, there's a severe storm, the sirens are out, right? Tornado country, southern Ohio, sure. So they, the, there's a severe storm, the family runs into the shelter, and they are, of course, safe through this shelter. They put on the gas masks that he purchased because he's, a, you know, obviously a prepper, which I didn't want to mention, but he's, mm. yeah. And then he, they go down Look, into this thing. there was a chlorine gas attack somewhere he's never heard of. Exactly, right? yeah. It's important shit. But so I love, the, I love the guy, which once again, if you want to show the kind of like, you know, the, the real villain here is the prepping industry and like Glenn Beck, you know, like 
Guy goes to the store. He's like, looking for gas masks. He's like, you don't want to go cheap on them. If you're getting a gas mask, you don't want to go cheap on gas masks. We don't go below 170. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to go cheap. So anyway, if you're going to buy gold to put store in your basement, don't go cheap on the gold. No. Anyway, so um, they go into the they go into the shelter and they can hear the storm going. But when they you know uh, when he wakes up, his wife and his child wake him up. Um, you know, the storm's over. You know, we need to uh, we need to leave. And Curtis can't. Right, he he still feel feels there's something out there, and it's once again in, in the scope of the, of of how the story unfolds within it. I mean, I think that you guys had kind of, I mean, had gotten a little jaded towards Curtis's struggle by this point as well. But basically, right, he's he has the padlock, he's locked the doors to the shelter from the inside, and as he goes up to the doors, he's like, I can hear it. There's something out there. She's like, I don't hear anything. He puts his hand against it. He's like, I can feel it. She's like, it, it, you got it. And what does he do, though? He hands, I mean, once again, there's no intimation that they are in danger in any way. He just can't open the door. And he tries to give her the key, and she says, no, you know, you've got to do this. And, I mean, when he has Nicole's head 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 in hand, as he goes to open this thing and open the door, I mean, the burst of light that kind of comes in, I felt was very good. And this is the reason why all movies that deal with mental health are such total bullshit. Oh, man, you're cured. You opened the door yourself. Like, everything's going to be all better. Like, because that's all it is. All you need is, like, somebody to make you do something, and then everything's all better. Like, it, it's oh, I just didn't, bullshit. I don't know that I grabbed it from that scene that that but, was the case. But not only is it all better, Nicole... <laughs> Okay, so the next. Okay, so that's kind of the real. That's the overall emotional climax of the film. We get you a short game of after that. Yeah. Okay. Good. We'll get there. So, but the next thing though is that they, 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 they It's clear that they go to the doctor in Columbus, right? Or yeah. the, 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 the real, spe- the real specialist. They get the real help. And he basically says that you know you need a break from the shelter. They're, they said, oh, we we're supposed to go to the beach. No, we'll go. Good. Go to the beach. But when you come back, it's time for serious treatment, right? And which means he has to realize exactly. The fear he has to go through. Now, I want to kind of emphasize, Nicole, that this is what's going to happen, right? He has ex- that the point of him doing it himself is knowingly saying, and once again, I think part of his fear is the effect that being treated for this kind of serious mental disorder, it's it is the end of his life, the end of his life as he know it. And I don't fault him for wanting to do everything in his power until he had to make that step out of that direction. And I know, and I know what you're going to say or what might be the critique, which is that every small step he took in constructing the fucking shelter was him dismantling his life up to that point, which I agree. Because now he doesn't even have health insurance. Yeah, exactly. Yay! Yeah. So, <laughs> but then they go to the beach. Okay, so. <clears throat> well, I mean, before, before this happens, oh. I, I do at least want to comment again on the, as I am the most conservative that you can be as someone who identifies as a furry. Um, I believe in society Yeah, on general principle and Curtis's desire in this movie to be seen as a soul that is not outside the law is admirable. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with that. Um, because the two, the two things that he wants more than anything else are the trust of the people around him and not to be a burden for in, ensuring that yeah, he's trust. He's a good person. Can we all agree that Curtis no, is tries no, to be written, a good... he was written... Again, they were written to nobility. be like the perfect, yeah, like good Midwestern peoples. It's, it's absolutely... They're good folks. It's absolutely something that people who do not 
I mean, and even people who do aspire to greatness, but especially if you've already decided that you're going to be a construction worker your whole life, it's hard to be much more noble than not burdening those around you and being a trustworthy individual. And this jeopardized both of those things. Yes. And in that way, I don't fault him. Yeah. All right, now we can do the final scene. So, <laughs> so they go to the beach, and Curtis is playing with his, uh, with his family, uh, with his daughter on the beach. They're building a little sandcastle. Um, uh, Sarah, his wife is in the, is in the, um, the home cooking or whatever, doing getting, the, getting the this ready. Condo. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we hear, we see the wind and hear the wind kicking up. Uh, and the daughter, you know, surname yeah. Jessica, I think Hannah, Hannah. Yeah. Hannah, okay. Oh, I'm Midwestern. <laughs> um, you know, taps Curtis and, you know, is looking towards the ocean yeah. and he looks over with her. And I think. It's very, very subtly done. The fear, the, the, the acting that we, we, we know what they're seeing, right? We, they, they're seeing something threatening, right? They're seeing something dangerous. And the reveal of the storm itself is very, very coolly done. We see Curtis reacting to it. We then see a shot of, of, uh, of the wife, Sarah, coming out of, uh, out of the house and onto the back porch. And our first reveal of the storm is in the reflection of the sliding glass doors back to us. And we see this storm developing into these little tornadoes or, or you know, water spouts. water spouts, as we call them in Florida. And, you know, then Curtis looks to her, she looks, and there's an exchange there that, you know, because Curtis, I think in a very, very powerful sense is, you know, saying, is this, is this actually happening? Now, once again, it's not necessarily, we could, we don't necessarily know, is this actually happening as he's envisioned it, right? Does this mirror, because it looks to us like this does mirror the visions he's been having in his dreams. And he looks to her and she acknowledges, right? She, she nods her head, yes. And then we fully see what exactly is in front of them. And to be honest with you, if I was on a beach with no real way to get away from it, it'd be fucking terrifying to me too. And the movie ends on this, on this note. And oh, I should also say that, that the, the oil, the oil, she, the wife extends out her hand and we see the droplets, these yellowish droplets and she rubs her hands together, which was always a good way to tell we were in Curtis's dreams to begin yeah. with. He he rubs his finger hands together, and we like to feel the the unusual yeah. viscousness viscosity of the uh, of the of the rain he's experiencing in his dreams. And it ends on that note. And I mean, once again, the the if we will, right? I think that this puts a very very big wedge in the fact that that. Curtis might not be classically mentally ill, that he might not be, might, might not be suffering from paranoid schizophrenia. I mean, I'm not to say that there's any sort of like magical realism here, but I think that the reason that this kind of is thrown into place, the, why he only has two of the five symptoms of paranoid schizophrenia is that, you know, the larger themes of fear, the larger themes of family, of family the larger themes of, be, of having people dependent on you, the way in which and what which would drive someone to want to protect themselves in an extreme way against a threat that doesn't seem likely or maybe never will happen. Uh, I mean, once again, for someone who's, who's deathly afraid of flying, I could kind of see how this is a larger statement on how people react because, like, you know, fear is a powerful fucking motivator, a really powerful motivator for people. And I thought this, the, this film handled fear in a very, very powerful sense. And I'm glad that it didn't become a movie ab in part about mental illness, but not entirely. And I think that that's 
one of the benefits of the film handling the ending in the way it did? Questions, comments, concerns. All right. So, um, I think Inception deserves an apology <laughs> for our conversation about its ending in light of how this movie ends. I'm okay with that. I'll allow it. Inception's ending, if I grant yes, okay. your premises, which I do, I, I actually do entirely agree that Inception's problem in the end is that it sacrifices the concept at the end of the movie in order to pull off an artistic trick, which I think we all agree works exceptionally well. Ryan, you even mentioned in the theater, everybody goes ah, at the end of the movie. Oh, yes. It works. Yes. The, the only question is whether that outweighs the fact that the camera pulls back unnecessarily and diminishes the tension and struggle that the film is about. Mm -hmm. But it only diminishes it. In this movie, that final shot, that was it real or not, actually destroys the concept of the movie. Mm -hmm. It does not pull the camera back at all. It questions whether or not the value of any of Curtis's struggle was what we assumed it to be. And I have no, I actually don't know what we're supposed to conclude. The nice thing about Inception's ending is that you can go into your head and go, okay, well, what if this is not real? Discover that that's uninteresting and just discard it, which, you know, that's not, that's sloppy, but you can do it and it doesn't destroy this. If you take it for granted that this storm is real, I don't know what you take away from the movie. Mm -hmm. and on top of it, I, was, I just thought of this. All this fucking bullshit about building a shelter. What good does it do him when he's on fucking Virginia Beach on vacation when the storm comes? That was a bunch of bullshit anyways then. Like, and well, the, wasted the, effort. Somebody else can go live in his shelter when the storm's coming. The other litmus test uh, that I ran with Inception, that we ran with Inception, um... Was there a better way to end the movie? And we came up with a couple of ways that, you know, maybe you could... I told could... you, he lives a life on disability and pills. That's, <laughs> that's what happens in real life. No, no, no but I was thinking, even, <gasps> even if we want to grant that there is some reason why we want... Because, again, artistically speaking, I totally understand having the storms come back down and the oil be on somebody's hands. Mm -hmm. So I asked myself, okay, Mr. Big Shot Critic, could you do it any better? And it took me 30 seconds to come up with a better ending to this movie right. that uses all the exact same themes. Okay. The wife doesn't come out. They already discuss the fact that, or they don't discuss it, but they imply, they sort of tacitly go into the idea that this schizophrenia is genetic. Mm -hmm. So whose hand should have oil on it at the end? Oh. The kid. Really? Oh, that's brilliant. That's perfect. That makes it worth it. The movie to watch. Uh -huh, that's, that's, that's decent. Yeah. Fuck the wife. The wife does no, not understand I mean. his pain. That's, that's, why that's why the whole work. premise of the movie is that she doesn't understand his pain. His daughter very may, very may well understand it mm -hmm. someday. And it's fine. We can assume he is in his head when his daughter looks down and sees oil on her hands. She acts kind of funny anyway. She's deaf. Mm -hmm. That <laughs> works Perfectly, and that would potentially be ambiguous in a satisfying way. So, Jeff Nichols, give me a call next time you need to end a fucking movie, because whoever your screenwriter was, and it was probably you, because this is an independent film, um, you got a, a couple more drafts first. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. I had a problem with the fact that the wife saw it at the end, too, because it doesn't work 
with the rest of the movie. And then, like I said, it still leaves my bigger social issue with the movie. It still leaves this open ended thing where it's like if you're someone who is starting to develop schizophrenia or suffering from schizophrenia, like you don't get the luxury of the people around you all of a sudden being able to buy into your delusions with you. That is not that's the whole premise of the movie is that no one else understands what's happening to him. Yeah. So it is integral to the movie. And I had, yeah, so I, I, your ending actually works. And again, I'm not taking credit for being really good at this. It didn't take long to come up with that. No, but it works. Yeah. Like it works with the rest it of the It has film. the artistic intent. You can bring the storm in. You can do all the elements are there. You just don't make the wife be involved. And it all, it all goes together. No, it's just, it's a shit ending. I don't well, like so this Well, so this is the all. problem with independent films is a lot of times they're good but they're not great. Right. And this movie suffers from that too. Like there's not, you know, as you go through and watch, watch it, you know, it's not that it's a terrible movie. I mean, it moves a little slow. It's a little domestic. It's not a bad movie, but it's not great. And that seems a lot of independent films suffer from this kind of, like lull from giving them what they need to be a great movie. Like if this movie had that ending, it would have been a way better movie, but it doesn't. And independent films in a lot of respects just seem to fall short like that. And I don't even know if it's a budget issue. It might just be, I mean, it might tackling just, concepts this way is hard. That's what I mean. It's it a might, tough thing to yeah, do. It might just be in, you know, an issue of, of, you know, not, they can't all be winners. And, you know, if you, if, if you can't even work within the Hollywood system anyways, you know, you might, your ideas may just not be that interesting. It's very possible, you know? That's independent, (laughs) independent shops are supposed to be workshops and laboratories for that kind of thing. And And you can't begrudge them for that. And they are, to a certain extent, the poems that are personal to the directors. You know, so they don't always come across in their broader themes for everybody. Like, they just fall short a lot. And I feel like this kind of fits that generic independent mold. I mean, for what it's worth, I actually, I I think I, uh, on the whole, aside from my, my specific bias, because I just don't like the way, I don't like Curtis because he's the kind of person that, I struggle not to be like, yeah. I, I understand my biases. I actually do like this film very well. It is. It's marvelously it's, well executed. It's not bad. I mean, oh, I got to. I mean, well, that's te- what I mean. It's yeah. good, but it's not great. It is technically excellent. Yeah. I mean, it is it, more money. I mean, I agree with you. I don't think money would have improved. No, this that's film. what I mean. That's yeah. that money isn't necessarily the issue with it. It yeah. it does what it 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 does what it's kind of set out to do within within its parameters. I mean, this is not this is not a movie that needs like a lot of locations. It's a very sh- small like. <laughs> well, uh, but before we intimate story, but we I kind of joked about, you know, with Inception, the idea that, you know, how do we resolve conflicts or, or you know, we, well, you know, just shoot something, you know, like, can we just fucking shoot something and, and resolve Nuke some, it if you're yeah, dealing with sci-fi some, well, once again, This is a movie that resolves all of its conflicts. And there's, you know, violence is not an essential feature of the conflict drama and and execution of the story. And once again, I think it's important to realize that violence isn't an everyday everyday experience for most people. and in a sense, what, what really independent films try to do, or, or what the problem is, is the fact that they lack money 
right? They can't turn to explosions or, and this, I mean, this one does well, turn to CGI also, to get the storm out. They also tend but, to yeah. deal with more mundane characters, like more like everyday slices of life, like simpler, you know, simpler um, storylines, you know, that don't don't involve big charismatic people. They, but, and they specifically, they don't co-opt the myths that involve heroics yes, to and, the yeah. same degree. And there's a large debate about what art, you know, you, we can almost go back to like, you know, the, the, the turn from this kind of like symbolic Renaissance art, you know, to, to our beloved Caravaggio kind of approach, right? Does art, you know, does art represent what we should aspire to be and therefore cannot reflect the, the day-to-day realities? Or does art? Or does it show us all the dirty nails yeah, and exactly. rotten teeth? Yeah. yeah. Does does art reflect <laughs> us within it as well? Oh. Uh, right. It, it embrace that. And I think that independent films have to go to that other side to a certain extent, and because you know the the, the heroism that they that they have to display is that kind, you know I don't know, like everyday heroes kind of approach. But it's 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 hokey if a politician told you to do that. But it's quite different that you know if you were shown a story about someone fucking surviving and finding a reason to live with like cerebral palsy or something like that, you know, like that would be something that would fucking be effective. And then at the same time, relate a, an experience to you that isn't something that that's uncommon. I mean, most of us run from fear. Like, let's be honest with ourselves. Like most of us run from fear. And the fact is, is that, you know, I, I've always kind of enjoyed films that tend to incorporate some moments. Like another confession, if I will, about cinema. <laughs> Um, I like horror movies. Like name I like, one good horror movie. Take, uh, um, it follows the most recent one. It follows is a fucking great horror film. Disaster piece soundtrack. Yeah. Um, it was the most recent one. Um, but like Alien, you know, like I get fucking like like you know, it's a trapped in a in a house movie. You know, like that's all Alien is. It's just a neat house and a great villain. But, um, but like. I like the idea that I can like get scared, and I know it's not like I like like can get myself to there initially. But, you know, when I get kind of like fearful about like walking through my own house when it's dark out and the idea that like, you know, it would just be a fucking shitload interesting if there were ghosts, you know, and like when I kind of like allow myself to get tricked into that by a movie, I enjoy that experience to a certain extent. But at the same time, like, I like the idea that it can be controlled, like when fear can kind of be harnessed. And I think this film does a good representation and shows us a necessary component to something that we don't, that you wouldn't willfully go into, which is feeling a, 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 a terror, a fear at a core or gut level. And to me, that's once again, I keep bringing this up because to me, I think this film is not about mental illness. I think it was at the elephant in the room that he had to incorporate when writing this film. And I choose to disavow that component. I refuse to accept the but fact the that this is, is a you large... if look at it like that, then it's a failed horror movie. Because I didn't know anything about this movie when I watched it, I actually got a little irritated in a couple of spots. I was like, oh shit, this isn't some stupid horror movie Ryan suggested, right? <laughs> I, I, I almost got pissed off. This is... Okay, so we joked before about so, how... Uh, now Inception. we just got a lot of half-ass con- like no, concepts easy, going on. Easy kill, right? <laughs> <laughs> like in the same way that Inception. I almost got really pissed off at you when I was like, "Are they going to pull some horse shit?" Like, oh, yeah. fuck Ryan. <laughs> he hadn't seen it. He didn't know. No, no. Like, I wanted to. St- okay, I'll talk about that. No, okay, but the also thing was is that in the way that you said like Inception is a shit psychological thriller and a better heist movie, and right? it's a fucking awesome heist yes. movie. Okay, well, I think this is a better psychological thriller than it is a fucking you know metaphysical statement about the state of mental illness in this country. All right, so. 
Um, well, that's oh, why I'm oh, saying that's what not. I'm saying. It sucks because it it just perpetuates all the same bullshit about mental illness, yeah, which is what irritates me about. Yeah, it. but I think once again, it's just it's it's the elephant in the room with the fact that you wanted to show a guy com- moved by visions that he felt was real. Oh, and the okay. first thing I, everyone I wasn't initially sure what you were going for. No, if we're talking about the literalism of what schizophrenia is like, no, absolutely not. Yeah. The, this movie is entirely about what it's like for a normal man's day to be ruined mm-hmm. yeah. in a way that he can't expose to other no, people. No, I mean, this is yeah. not a movie about mental illness. Like Not, my in, favorite, not in that exact way. My favorite independent film, uh, Julian Donkey Boy, which yes. is the only movie that accurately handles schizophrenia on any level. Yeah, and yes, <laughs> by making you feel schizophrenic, we should say. but um, And by not sugarcoating anything yeah absolutely there's no sugarcoating oh my family loves me and it's gonna be okay and i just have to (laughs) overcome no there's no one overcoming like you are done fucked in the head yeah so sorry (laughs) that's just the way the fucking dice roll (laughs) so uh i mean in the end though i do uh i do think this film is is interesting from that standpoint and you know, as you as you see films that try to take this approach, right? That try to you know solve problems of character by story. I mean, to, to a certain extent, this this film is a thriller, and like all thrillers, it's dependent on a whether you identify or like the the character, and b you actually want them or or recognize what they want to actually be able to achieve, right? Do we want them to succeed or not? And depending on how you feel about those two aspects, that entirely depends on the way and manner in which you, you know, you invest in the film, so to speak, right? I mean, if I, if I hate Leo, odds are Inception's just an okay movie at best, right? And in that sense, too, that, you know, it had nothing to do with the character. I mean, you can imagine, how, you know, the problem with casting, which is that, you know, we bring so much of our own baggage to these films that are we really giving them the fair shake that we need? And once again, I'm not saying I'm perfect in this, you know? Like, I mean, our actors and, and actresses that I dislike and filmmakers that I dislike and topics that I find irritating and poorly handled that kind of prevent me from going over and trying to see or connect what this film was about. And halfway through this thing, when he picks up, when he goes to the library and gets the mental illness books, I was like, you know, you can imagine, I was like 20 minutes in, I'm like, Nicole's gonna fucking hate me for picking this fucking movie, you know? Like, but... I thought it kind of, I thought it developed well from there. Um, I'll give it three and a half out of five uh, because 6.75 out of 10 is a fucking absurd. But anyway, um, I'd like to recommend it to you all if it's out there. Um, I mean, any other kind of concluding remarks or concluding remarks or any other things we want to kind of mention about this uh, film in particular? I, I mean, I, I know I would have enjoyed this if I didn't have this just kind of philosophical break yeah, with absolutely. the main character. I can, in the same way that I guess I appreciate a lot of fiction, just on a harder level because this has the more personal component to it, I can appreciate yeah. how well done this movie is, except for the ending. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like I said, my my impression of this film, like literally I was like, wow, it's just a generic independent film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think this is the first movie I might go zero stars, do not want to watch again. Wow. I, right. I only watched it once, I will admit, and I just didn't see the need to watch it again. I didn't feel like I was going to get anything else from a second viewing. Oh, I mean, for what it's worth, I mean, I guess 
Yeah, and this is the the this is these are the movies where it straddles the line, and Joey's system does become a little weird. But I mean, it is absolutely zero stars for me. It didn't get any better the second time I watched okay, it. Okay, I didn't think it would, so I decided to just watch Vice no, Land. The funny thing is, if <laughs> Jesus Christ, the channel is awesome. If anything, Michael Shannon's face gets actually more angular the second time you watch it. Oof. It's oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's rough. Oh, there's some good there's Oof. some good well lit shots of his of his crags. Yes, in yeah. this film. <laughs> That is a distinctive mug he's got. Uh, well, all right then. Um, I think that it was a useful exercise to watch a film we had. Oh, no, no, no. Seen I don't before. regret watching it. Yeah, I will no. just never do it again. Yeah, no, it's, I don't need it's to. fine. Like I said, but I, there's just there's not a lot to offer on the rewatch for this. It's not like something that gets richer the second time around. Although, for what it's worth, this uh, it is absolutely worth it because we sat and talked about it. Yes, um, no. I think just watching this movie in a vacuum would have provided almost no value at all. I think it's the fact that we are now discussing the themes of the movie makes it valuable. No, and I, yeah, I, well, and it was also this was also a weird one too because we all went in blind. Like yep. I had yep. never heard of this movie. I had zero idea what it was about. Like I was totally walked into this one blind. So well, and, that was new. Well, and I got to say too that I've seen um, the second the movie this director does after this is a movie called M Mud. And it's part of I the have McConaughey, right? Yeah, it's I've part of the McConaissance, yeah. yeah. And um, th but that one Lou, as well. Lou, big into the McConaughey. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but this... same way you're into the Channing. All right, all right, all right. Uh, <laughs> the same way though that the mud, the storytelling in mud is, you know, kind of walks a line between what exactly is this guy's deal, the, you know, the, the McConaughey yeah. character, and it doesn't, you know, you get in indications as you kind of go through that. And I will kind of say too that the the way in which that storytelling takes place, the fact that it is so domestic and seemingly low stakes is that it does make, you know, the reveal doesn't necessarily enliven you to a large degree as well, right? There's nothing we can go back and say, oh, you know, when did, when, when did the dream become, when did reality become a dream and Leo never woke up? You know, like there's no way to pick through mud or this movie to kind of see where that happens. And at the same time too, you know the endings are uh, are ambiguous in a, in a in a meaningful sense, but not in a necessarily story driven way as well. And I got to say, this director, the reason I did choose this film also, uh, uh, dear listener, is that he has a film that is making the rounds right now in the circuits called Loving, and it is one. Uh, I teach for those of you who don't know, I'm a political science professor, teach U.S. government, and Loving is a film about uh, the couple who the Supreme Court case that overturned state bans on interracial marriage is about. It's oh, about no. the case Loving versus Virginia. And apparently it is a love story that surrounds one of my favorite and one of my most famous favorite periods of American history uh, is this period as well. So that's one of the reasons I chose it too. So uh, keep an eye out in the next year for a movie called Loving. It's about a very a powerful movie and this director is a part of it as well. And I thought it'd be interesting to, to uh, turn us on to this guy. So cool. For entirely selfish reasons. Okay, see, I, I didn't even do that much research, but I have seen Mud before. Mud yeah. was pretty good. No, once again, no, the guy, the the guy is very good at crafting like independent films. Like he, he does know what he is doing. But like I said, you know, writing is hard and they just not, <laughs> not everybody's vision is as good as other people's. It's just like with Nolan for as great as inception is at the end of the day, the guy's just not that clever. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's okay. parts of the craft he's good at and yeah. parts he's not. Yeah. That's just how it works. Speaking of random endings. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So to keep this ambiguous, I, I am going Southeast Asian 
this time. Oh. Uh, I It was a toss-up between four movies, and I couldn't decide which one. There's Two of them are, are 70s, and two of them are, like, early two, uh, the early 2000s. Um, so I have three little, or I have four little pieces of paper. I'm going to randomly pick one and see which movie we're going to do All next All right, time. to get the okay. big reveal. Nicole. Eyes closed. Eyes closed. She picked one. The unwrapping. Gently. They're little balls of paper. I had to wrap should've, them up tight so I couldn't folded. cheat. She crumbled. And we are going to watch next week. We are going to do the Korean. Korean. Very strong filmmakers recently, the Koreans. We're going to do Sympathy for Lady Vengeance. Oh, boys. All right. I do have this on DVD if you need to Excellent. rip it. So. Well, there we go. Cool cats. Uh, and then I'll, I'll, after rewatching Sympathy for Lady Vengeance, I'll try to come up with some kind of theme to, you know, Excellent. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we'll jerry rig this sucker yeah, on the back end as well. All right, cool. We'll ad hoc that. That's, um, what's the Chanwook Park, right? Uh, yeah, same yeah. guy who did Old Boy. Yes. Um, Old Boy was actually in the pile too. <laughs> that one may be a little bit more visceral and it has a few better just scenes, but Sympathy for Lady Vengeance, I think, is better as a whole movie and female protagonist which is very unusual all for right my picks. Yep, absolutely all right well nicole ryan yes thank you been a pleasure machinists out there thank you for tuning in on this lovely friday morning afternoon or evening uh that's gonna do it for the movie crew this week um i don't know do some wikipedia research snoop around on korea get back to us did you have any North Korean picks in there? <laughs> Unfortunately, I, it's hard to get those bootlegs. Yeah, they're, all, they're all called Dear Leader. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll have to investigate that but for next month. But I has redone some James Bond movies oh, that yeah. are pretty quality. Yeah. yeah. Recast. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> all right, that's going to do it. Good morning, everybody. For those of you out there listening on headphones or other comparatively high-tech equipment, I started using a not only a different mixer, for this particular cast, but I also used a noise gate, and I'd be curious to know on the forums what you guys think about the way the podcast sounds, whether or not any of that needs to be modified. I'm going to try the noise gate on, noise gate off for a couple of episodes just as an A-B test. I'm not sure if I like it or not. I kind of actually like having a little bit of ambient sound, but let me know one way or the other. <laughs>